0: incident in which Jesus and his disciples don't go through the ritual washing of the hands like the Jewish tradition indicated and Jesus dealt with that uh, up through verse 13 by just contrasting human tradition with God's word the whole hand washing deal was not biblical it was their uh, reasoning their, their tradition their laws and Jesus didn't keep those. But in the next section, Jesus goes beyond that to really focus on an even deeper principle in some ways that plays into this whole hand-washing discussion. It's interesting how Jesus could take a rather simple accusation, a rather simple event, and see deeply into it and really use it to teach very good and important spiritual principles. And uh, so this is really point number two of his sermon about the uh, washing of the hands 14 to 23
1: after he called the crowd to him again he began saying to them listen to me all of you and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man if anyone has ears to hear let him hear when he had left the crowd and entered the house his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man.
0: All right, so Jesus discusses the principle of defilement and tries to help them see what they really need to be concerned about in that. Uh, obviously they've been thinking about, you know, defiling themselves by eating with impure hands, by, you know, eating certain kinds of foods and so forth. But Jesus says that's not really what you have to worry about when it comes to impurity. Um, what you take into your body, you know, eventually goes out through the intestinal tract and is eliminated. You know, it, it's, that's not really what you have to worry about. What does Jesus focus on? Absolutely. Well, why is what comes out so significant? It comes from the heart. Yeah. It reflects what's inside. <laughs> and it's really what's inside of us that defiles us. All sin comes from within us. That's what we need to purify. Um, and if you stop and think about it, that's true. You know, he, he goes to a list. You know, evil thoughts, well, obviously those come from, from within us. Fornications, you know, those aren't things that happen to us. Those are choices we make within us. Thefts, you know, that, the impulse of that is the greed and the desire. Uh, murders, adulteries, all of those things. And, and what he says in verse 22, all of those are things that come really from within us. What happens to us? Is not really what defiles us. What we take in into us is not what defiles us. It's it's the thing that proceeds proceeds out of us. Um, I think that's a really sharp point, and you know Jesus by teaching this has really struck at the heart of the problem with the Pharisees. They thought so much about little
2: rituals
0: and picky unish laws that they'd made up, and just all kinds of of little, uh, you know, things that would defile them, but they didn't think about the basic principles of purity of heart and purity of life. So they really missed the whole point of what would defile them. Comments and thoughts? One thing I thought about when I read this passage
3: before is when in verse 17, when when the disciples questioned it, and he talks about how they lacked understanding. Of, I mean, the people of this time,
0: they were so hardened by the traditions that they came to a point where they thought it was biblical to do yes. this things. And so they were questioning as to whether it was right or wrong. And I mean, I guess we can do the same thing today with traditions that we make up. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they didn't really understand when Jesus told the multitude what he did in 14 and 15, so he goes into more detail with them. As he often does, he gives fuller explanations to the disciples. But for, for whatever reason, it was actually hard for them to grasp that idea. They'd been so ingrained in them, this idea of, you know, you go through these, these rituals to make everything okay. In verse 19, what Jesus says actually shows that all foods are clean. You know, this is really Jesus' teaching, rescinding the teaching of Leviticus 11 and the clean and unclean meats. Uh, because, you know, Jesus is saying, now what you take into you, that's not what defiles you. Um, well, I first heard this passage and kind of listened to it and, you know, thought about it a
3: lot. At first, I thought about how, you know, if you live these things, you do these things in your life, it shows how, how, how bad your heart is uh, and where your heart is. But also, I uh, am thinking about what we talk about as well. Maybe we don't, I know this is something I might struggle that I struggle with sometimes, is talking about some of these things as well. Um, jokingly, maybe frequently talking about things that aren't right uh, as Christians that hurt our reputation or that aren't your thing to talk about. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of Christians you know, maybe say some things about maybe worldly things that aren't the healthiest thing to say um, and joke about, if you will. Uh, and we need to watch that as well. That's something that I struggle with sometimes, getting caught up in the moment and maybe joking about things that aren't right to talk about as well. Maybe not doing them, you know, some Christians I know would not even think about doing these things, um, but jokingly, frequently talking about sin in a way that wouldn't be healthy. Does that make sense of but... words.
0: Well, I remember in the law, God said, for them not to even mention the names of the idols, I think that's Exodus 23 or something like that and the idea is the more you talk about some things the more familiar it gets to you and to some extent it can be that you have less scruples against it and so obviously the Bible does speak about sinful things, it's not that every time you speak about a sin it's wrong to do that, but but particularly when what we say trivializes it and all of that, it can it can kind of you know, pave the way for it to seem less serious and more okay. If we're going to talk about these kind of things it ought to be in negative terms which is one of the problems I have with a lot of the entertainment. You know, it, it makes it almost makes it seem good to do wrong.
1: Sir, There was a 60 Minutes or something like that on the other day, talking about gays in the military and being able to serve and be openly gay. And so they had various servicemen there and one of them referred, said you know, we're the will and grace generation, referring to the television show. And that made me think of, you know, how it's portrayed over and over again that this is okay or that it's Normal, or it's j- just continually seeing it, and so his point was, we're used to seeing it, so it's not as big a deal for us. It's the older guys, meaning you know the upper level officers, who were having a problem with it, as opposed to the, the run-of-the-mill soldiers who have been watching those shows. The all Andy
4: Griffith generation didn't like it. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, that was, so it's that same kind of thing. You you talk about it and it becomes less strange and unusual and and unthinkable.
0: I think that's a good point. I mean, Paul makes the point in Ephesians 5, when he says in verse 11, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Some things are just, they're a disgrace to even speak about. And, much worse to enjoy and enjoy hearing about and looking at and find entertainment value in and so forth. It to just be repulsive to us. The things that, that God is, you know, abhors, we ought not to enjoy.
2: Matthew five, Jesus talks about uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I've thought about that. Some recently read some things. It made me think about this aspect of being pure in heart, and that is single and not not contaminated or uh, uh, made up of more than one type of thing. And, and God wants our hearts to be single. He wants them to be focused on Him and Him alone. We can't have these other things part of our our hearts, our minds, our thinking, and be pure in heart. Good
0: point. Other thoughts to
3: 23? Remind me again where the passage was you brought up that both of them and It's a disgrace to talk about those things. Ephesians 5, verse 11
0: and 12. Okay. Alright, 24 to 30.
4: rose and went away to the region of Tyre, and when he entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, But even the dogs under the table, feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your door. And going back to
0: her home, she found the child lying on the bed,
4: the demon had, the demon having departed. Well,
0: that probably isn't one you would have invented. Um, where was Jesus? Tyre. Now, where's Tyre? Yes, up north of Israel. So this would not be an Israelite region. I guess the people of Tyre are still Phoenician peoples. And um, he's trying to uh, go incognito, still trying to get away. You know, it seems to be uh, it's been his mission for a while. Uh, It never worked quite as well as you want. It's kind of like a movie star or something. That anywhere where they go, they can't seem to escape. You know, public attention. And uh, there's this woman with the daughter with the unclean spirit. Now he emphasizes again, what about this woman? was sent to her. Yeah, but what, what what do we know about the the woman? She was a Greek or Gentile. She was a Gentile and she was <clears throat> Syrophoenician. You know, this is a, a bit redundant. We already know he's, in, he's entire. She's a Gentile woman and she's of the Syrophoenician race. Whenever you see something like that where it seems like, you know, we're almost being told something we didn't need to know because we kind of already knew it, I think that's a good sign that there's a real point of emphasis in telling us all these details. You know, this is not just, you know, blabbing on. He really wants us to see, Mark does, she is a Gentile woman. She is not a Jew. And he tells us that, you know, several ways, so we'll be sure we, you know, notice that. And, and that is very much a part of this story. Because when she wants Jesus to heal her daughter of the demon, what does he say? That
1: wasn't said to you.
0: Yeah. Let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, on a physical level, would you agree with that? Would it be appropriate to take the food from your children's mouth and give it to some stray dogs? That would be outrageous. So, what does that have anything to do with Jesus healing her daughter of his demon?
1: Well, the the Israelites were considered the children of God. Yes. And Gentiles, I know at least Samaritans in particular, were referred to as dogs often. So... As a lowly creature and not worthy of notice, uh, so basically it's saying, "I'm not going to give, I'm not going to take this away from the Israelites to whom I was sent, and throw it down to you."
0: Wow, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it's not her fault she's a Gentile. Why, why would Jesus only only do these things for Jews?
4: He does say, let the children be satisfied first. Not that she can't be ever, but, and that was, I mean, that was the plan, that was the
0: prophecy, that it would start with God's people, his children, the Jews. I think that's the right answer. Um, pretty much, anytime you do anything, somebody is benefited first. You know, if you start serving food, one table gets to be served first, you know, and so forth and so on. And, and you kind of have to do that for an order, orderly organization and arrangement. Now, God had a pattern that involved even the calling of Abraham and his father, f- uh, his family, 1,500 years before, 22,000 years before. And God, you know, had a special relationship with Abraham's family, but for the purpose of ultimately blessing all the families of the earth, Through the coming of Jesus. When Jesus came, the the message and the blessings were to go first to the Jews. Then in the book of Acts and following, you see the transition where they're then presented to the Gentiles as well. It's not time in the program for the dogs feeding. (laughs) Right here, it's for the children to be fed. Eventually, God will open the door for the Gentiles to receive this. Well, how would you feel if you were that woman?
4: What well, I think is amazing is she understood. <laughs> yeah. She didn't. She didn't respond with like, "What are you talking about?" She she responded in the same manner in which he did, and and with the same concept or whatever. He'd, you know, carrying a little bit farther. Okay, well,
0: even the crumbs. You know, the dogs get some crumbs. That is amazing. I have this statement from something. Jesus desperately tried to teach his chosen disciples, yet they are dull and uncomprehending. Jesus is reluctant to even speak to this walk-on pagan woman, and after one sentence, she understands his mission. That's <laughs> pretty incredible. I like this statement. But uh, well, I was just looking for an opportunity to. Thanks a lot. But, but you know, yeah, I mean, wow. I don't know if I'd have been her, if I would have had any clue what Jesus was trying to say. But it looks to me like she does really understand. And, wow, she understands and shows some attitudes that I think are really impressive. On the physical level, she's saying that the dogs get what? Yeah. You, know, you wouldn't take the food out of the children's mouth and give it to the dogs, but would you let the dogs eat the crumbs, eat the scraps, whatever? Yeah. I mean, even this word, you know, for dog is, is like, you know, the, the pet dog. You know, it's uh, not a, a word for the stray dog. They had two different kinds of dogs. So, you know, but, but you know that you would still wouldn't, even your pet. You wouldn't take the food away from the children, but you'd certainly let the dog, you know, take advantage of what was left over. Well, so, what's she trying to get at?
1: What's she saying with that? I'll take the crumbs.
0: Well, if she's saying that, what is she actually out for? What's she want from Jesus? Her daughter. So, what's she saying? So
1: crumb is enough.
3: Yes!
0: All that's really needed for my daughter to be healed is just a crumb of your miraculous power. That's pretty impressive. She doesn't think he would have to give the food. Just a little crumb from Jesus would be all it would take. Isn't that amazing?
3: Is he testing her faith here
0: by saying that right. she That's not
3: my take.
0: I think Jesus is keeping a huge misunderstanding from arising. Imagine that Jesus had just healed her daughter. What would she have probably done? Gone and told You know, 200 more friends that have brought their demon-possessed daughters, and pretty soon you've got a full-fledged revival going on up in Tyre. That was not Jesus' purpose. I think he wants her to understand, while he's willing to give her a crumb so her daughter can be healed, this is not the beginning of the Gentile mission. So I think he's trying to keep her from misunderstanding. But I'll tell you, there's another thing that impresses me about the woman. Not only is she sharp, and not only does she have amazing faith to think that it would just take a crumb to heal her daughter, what's the other thing that she obviously has? Because?
1: Well, she puts herself and her daughter in the position of the dogs. Yes. Willingly, I mean.
0: You know, if you're easily offended, you probably won't be a follower of Jesus. Um, I don't think Jesus was trying to put her down. But she humbles herself to recognize that at this point, they're not the children. They're still the dogs. You know, they're, they're man's best friend, but they're still just a friend.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, they're not the children. Um, so, so I, I think that, you know, this kind of humility. It, it, again, look at the contrast between her and the disciples. The disciples had a hard time receiving the kingdom with the humility of a little child. She's willing to receive it like a dog. (laughs) You know, she's not concerned about her honor and her position. She wants her daughter to be healthy. You know, she'll lose any dignity. She'll beg for a crumb. Really, she was impressive. (laughs) Um, You know, that's... uh, I, I see what Jesus said because of this answer, no, the demon's gone out of your daughter. I mean, wow,
2: that was a great answer. Comments and thoughts on this story? She's also desperate. I mean, she sees her desperate need and she's persistent too. I, I couldn't help but think about the great faith about the woman who, who thought if she could just touch Jesus, you know, edge of his clothes, that All she would be, you know.
1: Yeah
0: yeah I mean, isn't it interesting just to imagine, you know just just what percentage of God's power would we need in any particular crisis we're in? Well, I mean, if one angel one night could kill 185,000 soldiers, how many angels are there? <laughs> Whoa. I think what a whole troop could do in a week. (laughs) Nothing would ever be the same again. I mean, it is amazing. Other thoughts?
1: For me, something that kind of sticks out is,
0: you know, Mark is emphasizing here, like, like you mentioned over and over again, this is a Gentile woman. This is not... You know, is not Jesus' typical audience, at least at this time. And it's easy for me, having you know, studied the history of the Jews and all that in the Old Testament, to forget. Hey, I'm a Gentile too. How willing am I to to realize how humble I should be, you know, and how grateful I should be that Christ, that that Christ's crumb should follow me, too. It's a good point, I guess, uh, when he mentioned the dogs, we're kind of in that category, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if our goal is to maintain our honor and our dignity and, you know, have our, you know, position respected, we might as well give it up and follow in following the Lord. I mean, those kind of people don't follow. ridiculous sometimes what posturing we go through trying to you know get attention and you know respect we think we deserve and all that kind of stuff other comments and questions well how about 31 to 37 I like this when this is uh you know, always curious. There's nothing uh, nothing orthodox about Jesus. Just when you think you've got him figured out, he goes and does something like this. 31 to 37.
4: Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to the heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, "Ephphatha," which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even make deaf
0: here and mute speak. So we're over now on the right-hand side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, they bring to Jesus who? Deaf and dumb. Yeah, deaf mute basically. And uh, Jesus takes him away from the crowd and does something that doesn't seem very common. What did he do?
4: Finger in his ear, touch his
0: yeah well, doesn't just touch his tongue either. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming he like maybe spits on his finger and then touches the guy's tongue with his saliva. And uh, you know he sticks his fingers in his ears. Uh, <laughs> what in the world was that all about? <laughs> Can you imagine seeing that? Me a long time was tempting this to figure out what this was all about
1: was, was he
0: you'll probably know
1: I think I've heard an explanation before which was that he was doing that for the benefit of the man he was healing because he had no idea what was going on he's you know deaf and so he can't hear these people saying okay you know and for him to just say be opened or whatever yes it would work without the fing- finger gestures but uh, he would get the idea of this is what this is what I'm doing now.
0: So what Jesus was really doing is using sign language you know because can you imagine if Jesus took the normal procedure if he touched the guy's shoulder and said be opened guy didn't hear a word all of a sudden he starts hearing everything but you don't know why so Jesus is saying look My word is going to open your tongue and I'm going to open up your ears. You know, he's just using, you know, some kind of rudimentary sign language to communicate with the man. The thing I see in Jesus is, have you ever seen a case yet where Jesus didn't have total command of the situation? He always does exactly the right thing. Not always the same thing in every circumstance. Jesus is able to see the situation and he he, give, he adapts in, 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 in the way that's most appropriate in the situation it's, just, it's fascinating to me that Jesus would have, have done it this way and uh, of course any of these healings like this are a physical sign of what Jesus wants to do spiritually Jesus wants to open the ears of the disciples so they can hear what he's saying Jesus wants to loose their tongues so they can speak for the Lord. You know, so Jesus is really trying to hear us of our deafness and muteness in a spiritual sense. But what he does here is really uh, amazing. Ooh. Well, what does Jesus tell the people not to do? Well, he always tells them not to do don't almost tell. don't tell and what do they do
3: what people normally do
0: <laughs> the more he tells them not to tell the wider they spread it wow and they are amazed they, they are totally dumbfounded about what Jesus can do and the news just goes everywhere you can imagine how famous Jesus is getting to be
3: That would be so frustrating to me. You know what I mean? Just telling people not to tell and they keep on telling, you know, but how how Jesus handles it's just amazing, you know. He's just he's so calm and patient in those kind of situations where I would probably choke at him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, you know (laughs) I mean, for all that Jesus can do, people sure don't pay much attention to what he says sometimes. Other thoughts?
3: I've got maybe a couple ideas, but do uh, you want to uh, maybe just give some ideas of why Jesus would tell people not to say anything?
0: Well, for Mark 1, when he told the leper not to tell, what was the reason there?
1: If he wanted to be able to go into the towns and preach and because they told he couldn't do that and he had to stay out in the lonely places and they came to him anyways. But his yeah. plan was to go in and not be mobbed so that he could speak.
0: Yeah. Too great a crowd hampers his travel and probably brands him as a man, not as someone they're taking seriously. I heard
3: another uh, interesting thing. I think it was, uh, it was one of Bob's classes at FC. You know, maybe Jesus, uh, you know, I think he more wants, like you are saying, he wants people to just really see him for what he's really trying to do instead of, um, you know, the healer. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, if he's done something great for somebody, he doesn't want them to tell everybody because he wants everybody to see for themselves what he does. Um, I guess it's pretty obvious, but I just...
0: Yeah, although Jesus, in some passages, will certainly assert the validity of faith based upon testimony. He tells the man that cast out of to, you know, tell them the great things God has done for you, so. My question is, why did he tell them that? I mean,
4: you know, we were just talking about why, but it didn't do any good. In fact, it had the opposite effect, so why did he tell them that? Well, now, yeah,
0: you know we often ask those kind of questions. Um, I think God deals with us pretty much authentically. I mean, you could ask a lot of questions. Well, if God knew that this would happen, then why did you do this? and why did you do that? And pretty soon, the whole universe is just sort of a uh, you know dream God plays out in his mind. And, you know, he knows what all would happen. And there you have it. And I think God, you know, will tell us kind of what you'd say in real time. He doesn't just, he doesn't, he he lets us make our mistake. You know, he could just say, well, they're going to tell anyway, so I won't bother to tell them not to. Well, he doesn't ever do it that way. He's going to, even if he knows you're going to tell, he's going to tell you the right thing. And then, your guilt's going to be compounded because you disobeyed what he just told you. That would be my answer.
1: Because it's not a matter of he told them not to tell knowing that they were going to tell so that they would tell.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think that
1: It's not a deceitful kind of, you know, it's not reverse psychology that he's using.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, I don't think there is any reverse psychology like that. You know, that Jesus <laughs> used. He may challenge some people, but I don't think Jesus would say "Don't tell," hoping they'll disobey him and tell. That seems very unworthy of the Lord. <laughs> is that understatement. Uh, yeah. Literally. Well, I, I've heard people. I've heard people uh, yeah. say that in this. Yeah. yeah. That's a rather popular explanation, at least from people I've talked to. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: So like, Agnesy "Yes, I got
0: him again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you can always trust what the Lord says. I mean, you know, He's always going to tell you what He means. He's never going to, you know, try to, I don't know. Just, I mean, He's just. He's always trustworthy. I mean, He never, He never could tell a lie. I mean, there's, you know, there's no lie found in Him whatsoever. You know, Titus 1, God who cannot lie. You know, he really can't.
1: Is not trying to trick you into doing the right thing.
0: No, no, I think not. Good questions. Other comments and questions on this? I,
1: I just the phrase, he has done all things well. Kind of. I don't know. I, is that somewhere else as well? other than the parallel passage? Because it, it sounds like something that I should have heard somewhere. It's in a hymn, by the way. Yeah. It's what? It's in a hymn. Oh, really? Okay, alright. That's... Jesus doeth all the way. That's it.
3: Lord, I you died me,
2: Jesus
1: Oh, no. You <laughs> let me oh, go, like, all the way. Okay, alright.
2: Okay, now I, out, know
1: why, <laughs> I know why time's two because I've been working on hymns recently, so yeah, they're all in my head, so, ah, but, okay. <laughs> but I think it's neat that they said that, I mean, yeah, he did. Got, he's got it all going on. Well,
0: d- yeah, where did he ever m- blunder, you know, uh, wow, where did he ever kind of, yeah, that wasn't his best effort, you know, never. Kind of botched that one a little bit, but, you know, we'll do better next time. I mean, There was never, Jesus, you never, you know? I mean, everything he did was top-notch. Obviously, perfect healings, but all the surroundings, you see, he said the right thing, he did the right thing, he was totally composed.
2: It's really amazing. When the Jewish leaders tried to find some fault in him so they could, you know, put him to death, they, they couldn't find anything. I mean, think of any of us. I mean, how hard would it be to find something Mind anything. And find anything and Jesus never cracked
0: under that kind of intense scrutiny which is pretty remarkable too <laughs> I think it just made some of them mad that they couldn't find anything reminds you of people trying to accuse Daniel you know the fact that he, they couldn't find anything to accuse him of made them more jealous yet other comments or questions? chapter 8 verses 1 through
1: 10 in those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat Jesus called his disciples and said to them I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat if I send them away hungry to their homes they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance his disciples answered him or will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered those to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanita.
0: Okay. So there's a big crowd again, nothing to eat. Jesus says, I really feel for these guys. They've been with me three days, there's nothing to eat. If I send them away like this, I'll probably faint along the way. And the disciples say,
1: Where can we find that? That much bread in
0: this desolate place. Yeah, what do you expect uh, expect us to do about this? And Jesus, it's so similar to the feeding in chapter 6. There's several details that are different. We'll talk about some of those. But it's very similar. Do what? Why wouldn't they think of that? Uh, yeah. That is a little odd, isn't it? Why didn't they think of that?
1: I almost think they... In one sense, they, I think they did, in that, instead of asking, should we go spend all this money and go buy it, they said, where can we find any bread, kind of idea, as a, in this desolate place. So, I think they were taking a baby step forward, but not enough to go, oh, wait, we've got some bread here, it doesn't matter how much, it's enough. So
3: I, I would have said where's the five fish or the five loaves and two fish and you know we can them. You know. But I mean, you know, it's hard for me to see that. I don't know. I same thing I was thinking, like Debbie said, you know, you would think this this just happened, you know. I mean even some of the wording is the same. Yeah, I and mean, it probably wasn't yesterday that it happened. True. It's been but a while. It's still kinda of hard to forget. Well what about what about us? Is there ever a
0: time so we've been through a, a really pretty serious crisis that God resolved we get in a crisis again or a similar and we don't turn to the Lord or we just become desperate it's like you know I think we do that same thing we'd see God you know handle a situation that was totally parallel and still not trust him the next time a similar situation came along uh, so I mean I think the disciples are a lot like us. You know every new crisis tends to bring you know throwing up your hands. That that that'd be what I'd say to that. He already used that now. <laughs> 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 fulfilled Fulfilling his quota on that one. Yeah, use that one up. Well, they could assume this was just a one-time only event.
3: Well, had said that, like, after that, um, whatever, and they were in the boat, they had not gained any insight from the instance of the loaves. Yes.
0: Yeah. So. They were still panicky about not having bread enough, brought enough bread. <laughs> Phew. When are they going to learn Jesus can handle food emergencies? But when are we going to learn that Jesus can handle every emergency? When are we going to put our trust in him and not do things our own way and not throw up our hands in despair when things are hard and things are difficult in our situation? To me, we do a lot of bashing the disciples, partially properly, but partially it's like, well, when you point one finger at them, as they always used to tell me you got four pointing back at yourself and uh, that's pretty much the way this is I think in this case I don't think this is so surprising because I've done the very same thing over and over again it's like well yeah I mean he just did that the other day in a similar situation but I I know he's going to do it here I know you know wow how many times would he have to do it before you would finally learn yeah I can count on him so he says, how many loaves do you have? And they have how many? Seven. So he starts serving that bread and a few small fish. And they were filled. They were satisfied. And how many, well, how much leftover do they pick up this time? Seven, Seven large
1: baskets.
0: Seven large baskets. How many, uh, how, how many did they pick up the time before? Twelve. Twelve. Now, the the 12, that was kind of like what? Well, I mean, the number 12. The
1: number of
0: the disciples? Yeah, you had kind of a basket for each disciple. Here, the number 7. Completeness. Yes, but also... Yeah, you've got a, a large basket for each loaf. I bet you that lobe would have fit in a little corner of that basket. But you got a basket full of leftovers from from one lobe, corresponding to each of the lobes. And uh, it's very interesting that, um, I guess, you know, the specificity of the words in a language depends on how much you use the the item, once you talk about the item. But they had two different words for basket. And consistently the word in the feeding of the 5,000 was a a reasonable sized basket and the word the feeding of the four thousand was a, a very large basket and both in Matthew's account and Mark's account and when Matthew and Mark mention for example here in verse 19 when I broke the 5 loaves for the 5,000 how many baskets full of broken pieces and then in 20 when I broke the 7 for the 4,000 how many large baskets of broken pieces did you pick up and, and you know that's, that's really I'm pretty sure I'm right about this that's one word in the original the large basket is just a way the translators have what do we have other than basket you know so we just got to use large basket to give that idea so I mean these would have been very good sized baskets And, you know, one of them for each little loaf. Oh, they're amazing. Kind of like they say, uh, I think I heard that like the Eskimos have all kinds of words for snow.
1: (laughs) 25 different words for snow or something like that.
0: Yeah. You can kind of see that, can't you? You know, when you got, when you live with that constantly, you can imagine every snow is a different type, a different quality, you know. <laughs> I mean, the Brazilians have a hard time understanding, what's, you know, if they know, if most of them don't know English that well, but you know, like what, what snow, sleet, you know, all this stuff. You know, what's the difference? You know, to them, frozen pre- precipitation from the air would be kind of the same thing. So I'm sure in, in their culture, You know, a different word for different-sized baskets makes sense. So, um, you know, you've got just a ton of leftovers here again. 4,000 were fed here. How many were fed before? 5,000. There were seven loaves to start with. How many were there before? Five. There were a few there were a few small fish here. How many were there before? Two. So, you know, some details are different, but the main idea of the story is the same. And it's still showing God is the one who can feed us. And it also, I like the fact that in verse 2, Jesus feels compassion for the people. Jesus cares about everything. I mean, I don't know. They were taking up Jesus' time. Who cares if they've been there three days and haven't eaten anything? They won't die over three days and live with that. You know, this is important. But no, Jesus felt compassionate. It bothered him. Here they've been all this time and they haven't eaten. Of course, that's really kind of amazing in and of itself. Uh, would you have stayed with Jesus three days listening to him teach without anything to eat? Man. We have a hard, hard time staying in the church past noon. You know, my stomach's growling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you
4: know, Christians can't get together without a
3: potluck. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: you know, it's just, we, we are so spoiled. You know, I mean, in, in our society, we have everything. I mean, it, it's not only that we want, you know, three meals a day. But, you know, we've got the refrigerator the microwave. You know, if it can't happen in 30 seconds or less, we don't want it. <laughs> you know, who wants to stand over a stove for 10 minutes and warm something up? You know, I'll be starved to death by that. <laughs> and they'd wait in three days. And so.
4: Doesn't give a lot of detail leading up to that. No, it doesn't. Three days. And almost, from the verse 1... I mean, I almost get the idea that it may have been a reoccurrence or, a, you know, it's just like a, almost a common thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: In yes. those days, I guess, Yes. there was a great multitude. And this time, they had been there three days or something to
0: that effect. I suspect that's the case. I mean, Jesus is very popular at this point, And for him to be thronged by crowds would probably have been almost a daily. It's you almost wonder if there were more than two occasions that he
4: did this. And they still didn't.
0: <laughs> the only thing I would say is, assuming Mark gave a complete account, what Jesus went went on to say in like 16 and... and uh, 19 and 20, rather. You know, he mentions those two events. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he could have done some after. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really don't have any idea what <laughs> other times Jesus may have done some of these things or other things. You know, John says there's the, the, the enough space in the world to fill all the books that we've written about what Jesus did. So, is,
1: is part of the idea that they like the the crowd had come to listen, and maybe they brought you know they brought lunch because they figured this is going to be an all-day, in, you know lesson and then they stayed for two more days and like they ran out of food not necessarily that they came with no food
0: yes yeah i don't know if that's possible perhaps uh now that it's been this long nobody has any food left
2: maybe that's the idea that'd be reasonable we just can't imagine not having food i know i assume you've been places where Food just wasn't available. Is that true?
0: No. Uh-huh. I've been around people that didn't have enough to eat. I haven't been in any place where food wasn't available. But there are places where it's not. It's like Gary Sandusky. Yeah, absolutely. Gary, yeah. Yeah, Gary's been places where did isn't any food to be had. Now, everywhere
3: I've been, there's been food. Just and Some people couldn't afford it to have as much as would satisfy yeah. them. Yeah. But. Even that, hard for me to imagine eating bread. <laughs> yeah, it's just bread. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You'd be thrilled with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. know. This is, they're, you know, so happy because they have bread. You
4: know, I'm
0: thinking, it's bread. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I want my uh, whopper my way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't want lettuce. Yeah. Mayo, you know? It's, yeah. They're happy with, they put, you know, ketchup on my sandwich. Send it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <So> I can, <laughs> you know, throw it in the trash. I can relate to it. Bread you. and cabbage. Right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not my Well, would we have ever, would we have ever managed in the wilderness for 40 years with manna? every single meal no without complaining wow and we get down on them for complaining and the Lord was upset with them but what would he think about us
2: yeah, they I had mean,
3: meatloaf last week <laughs> 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 yeah wow
0: yeah absolutely I mean we have so little appreciation and so much abundance it's ridiculous and you know I mean, I like some of the statements Jesus makes. So I would call, I'm not sure that he does this. In, in, um, maybe he did, I can't remember. Did he do this in Mark, uh, where, where Jesus, when he sends some of them out, says, eat whatever is put before you. Um, I- at least in like Luke 10, 7, when he sent out the 70, you know, <clears throat> stay in that house wherever you go, eating and drinking what they give you, for the is worthy of his wages. You know, don't you shop around for a better cook. You eat and drink what they give you. I really think there's something to that idea. And then he says again in the next verse, no, no, look at it. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And part of it is, you can go ahead and eat off of them. But I think part of it's also saying, you know, whatever they give you, that's what you eat. And we are so spoiled. And, And, you know, I mean, it's not... I don't always have as good an attitude as I ought to when I go different places and some things are not very appetizing to me. And it's like, who cares? You know, what what difference does it make? It's just amazing, you know, in view of how short our life is and how important the Lord is, what great importance we put on things that are so minor. (laughs) I mean, wow. We're all wrapped up in how this tastes. (laughs) The sign of the guy that has everything when he can, you know, he can distinguish between, you know, Coke and Pepsi, you know, and probably wouldn't know the difference if he was blindfolded, you know, but I want this, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like, wow, at least we really need to be appreciative. And, uh, you know, I'm sure these guys, you know, were glad to get uh, some loaves and some fish after three days, however that was, they were at least hungry now, hungry enough. The, the disciples thought they or Jesus actually thought he, they might fade along the way
4: this would be an all an all afternoon event wouldn't it to feed
0: 4,000 people <laughs> major catering uh, right. crisis
4: I mean, you read it and you read just a few verses and it's like oh well you know in 15 minutes they sat down all ate, and they picked up the pieces but I mean think about it they had to cook the fish they had to divide all that and pass it out to 4,000 people
0: I don't know about cooking it. It may be that Jesus uh, serves it pre. Well.
1: <laughs> In
0: the other account, so
1: uh, some, the other accounts, something, it, it,
4: There it, was a place where they grilled the fish for breakfast. That's Luke 24. Yeah, I
0: okay. uh, okay. yeah. So I would assume they cooked that fish since they did that. But this thing. may be. I would assume this was pre-cooked.
1: The fish relish stuff, or
0: it may be here even that. But I assume whatever they had was something they didn't expect to cook, and something had been cooked. Being carried to eat. But still, I don't know. I mean.
1: We should ask Katie how long it takes to serve 4,000 people.
0: Well, and (laughs) and, you know, the last time, I don't remember if the other account says they did it here, but but in the feeding of the 5,000, they had them set in groups, the 50s and the 100s. And then he
4: gave it to the disciples to pass out.
0: Yeah. I mean, but I'm thinking each disciple could probably carry enough food for, you know, I don't know, and about three disciples, could they have taken care of a group of 50? Then they pass it out among themselves, or half a dozen.
4: Yeah, the other account mentions getting late. Yeah. Which, you know, to us, it's, you know, I'm thinking seven o'clock or, you know. (laughs) But then to go through this procedure,
0: it would be dark. I, mean, I really don't know, with 12 servers, and if, if they just give it to somebody who passes it out among the 50s and the 100s. I mean, to the extent they had groups of 100,
1: there'd then 50, what? If they had all groups of 100, there'd be 50 groups, 12 disciples, 4, each disciple would have to handle a little over 4 groups of 100.
0: okay. So each disciple has to serve 4 groups of 100. I don't know how many loads it would take for a goof of a hundred. Well, it, it, it takes it, it us at Amos 30 minutes to get everybody through that. <laughs> but, but, but they're passing. <laughs> through it, the line it, if each disciple took 15 loads <laughs> to each hundred, then that'd be 60 loads. I mean, you could see in an hour they could pass out that food. I don't know. I'm not very good on I
4: guess my only point with that is a lot of times we... But yeah, fly through thing. these things. This was a major yeah. ordeal. It wasn't, I mean, it should have been a real, uh, you know, uh, I ap- know, yeah, after the whole process and seeing all this, you know, we read right through it and then we say, well, we picked up the, you know, the seven baskets full and then what's the lesson? Well, to them, you know, they were part of this, like, where is all this bread coming from? And yeah, really. It's coming, and it keeps coming. We keep, where are you getting this? <laughs> and then it's all done, and they're collecting it up. And that would have been a process, you know, go
0: around yes. and accept the leftover pieces. Send Dan and Joe around to see the uh, trash cans.
4: And they get, you know, I can see them getting all done. It's like, man, I am wore out, you know, <laughs> serving all these people. And
3: give me some of that bread. <laughs> I want some of myself.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, that that is—it's monumental to think about. That means there's crowds like this following Jesus, you know. Because I mean, if we had a crowd of two or three hundred people, that's a lot, you know—four or five thousand people. Maybe that's in some count, accounts. That's just the men, not counting kind of women and children. Wow! Wow! Very good. Other comments?
1: Thanks to a movie version of one of these events. I know that I've always envisioned they've got their their one basket and they're approaching their group and they say, Okay, there's not much, don't fight and then they you know, they reach in and it's like it's like the oil. It never runs out, so they're only carrying one basket of I mean, I don't know,
0: but
1: huh. that concept of
0: That'd be fun. <laughs> I, don't I don't think that's quite the way it was. That'd be quite interesting.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Turn it over and it never stops.
1: <laughs> shut it off! Shut it off! No <laughs> <laughs> more
0: You know, think about how Jesus did these things. I mean, it just blows our mind. I mean, you just can't do that. All right, anything else on? All that to the chin. All well, right, why don't we stop here, then? And uh, I think I will be here next week. And then off a week.
3: Just
0: one? I guess. I think.
3: So, that's my plan at the moment.